Welcome back for episode 33 of Self-Signed Artist. Choosing a business model as a producer can be tricky. Today, we're going to cover a couple of the options available to you with Hana G. You're listening to Self-Signed Artist, the podcast that helps independent musicians run their brand like a business. Now, your hosts, Kobe Nelson and Jake Mannix. How's it going, everybody? I'm Kobe Nelson, and I'm here with my co-host, Jake Mannix. Hello, hello. What's up, Jake? How you doing? How's your computer? Oh, my computer is all better. My Completely is better, all better. Uh, Almost. We got to get some preferences, some key commands, some keychain passwords, things transferred <laughs> over, but we're on our way. We're on our way. Nice. So you guys had to perform a little surgery and mm-hmm. the baby, the baby went down on the operating table for, for those of you who don't know, I have a 27 inch iMac and the hard drive, the really great fusion hard drive in there topped out on me. So my friend and I had to take the screen off and perform some surgery and she's up and running now. Nice. Well, good. We're back on your actual own machine where it's your name, not somebody else's name in the <laughs> in the corner on the Zoom call today. All right. So today we're coming at you from the production side of things again, actually. So to all you listeners out there who ask us things and ask us to, to cover certain parts of the industry, we listen to you. So send us emails or DMs with suggestions about what you want to hear because we'll probably actually do it. For today, if you're a producer, you're going to want to listen closely to this episode because our guest today is also a producer who is, at this very moment, in the process of, of blowing up pretty big. So we want to welcome to the podcast, Hunter Galvin, aka Hunter G. How's it going? Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. What up, Hunter G? How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Man, we had a pretty crazy weekend slash week here, huh? Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, I work pretty closely with uh, Jake Mannix over here. He's our engineer <laughs> and I produce for the artist Johnny Two Phones. And yeah, we, we've had a pretty awesome week and month this past month. Yeah. Going crazy. Going crazy. So it started with on Sunday, my or, or Johnny and Brian came and, and my computer like crapped out <laughs> and Hunter was in Oneana and couldn't be here. And so we were kind of just going back and forth and yeah, we kind of just cranked out a hit. Yeah. I think it was, what was it within like maybe five days? I think we had the whole song yeah, start to finish. I forget when we sent it off to mastering. How were the, how was that on your end, dude? What was it like working on a song like that remotely? Uh, it was definitely, a, it was a little challenging, but I recently moved over to my laptop. Luckily, it was, the timing worked out perfect because I had to install my plugins on that before I could even do anything but I did have that with me at the time and I didn't have access to all my other gear so strictly laptop work this time as same with you um but yeah, <laughs> yeah it, on Johnny's laptop <laughs> yeah right it wasn't even your own laptop yeah no it's definitely it was difficult but I think it went extremely well considering we're not used to working like that and it was kind of our first time Definitely a lot of files being sent back and forth um, <laughs> between all of us, but it, I mean, it was cool to like make something awesome 
from long distance. I feel like we've never really done that. Yeah, that was wild. I mean, it was like, it just sucked not having you here. But yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like the the production was still A1. Yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about what's been going on over the past month though. So that was just this past week, right? That that session was going on and that this song came about. But for the past month, I mean, things have been going pretty well for, for you and Johnny, right? With some songs that you recently put out. Yeah, so I think it was about a month ago now, Johnny had posted a few TikToks for an up-and-coming song we had called Rescue, and um, he slowly gained traction, and then he had one huge TikTok that got millions of views, and he got even luckier than that and ended up posting the same video on Instagram, and it also got millions of views on Instagram, so it's kind of like a double whammy, and um, that like really helped the song on drop. I think we got over a million plays in like the first week, which is more than we've ever gotten our whole the whole time we've been working together so yeah pretty awesome i was checking i think i checked earlier today and just on spotify it was over 2.5 million and that's just one platform so it seems like it's it's doing really well it's an awesome song it sounds great so congratulations on that it's, it's doing really really well yeah thank you and props to jake too engineered it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. sorry both I kinda, of you guys yeah i, I kind of just blew right past how hunter and i like <laughs> know each other sorry so Hunna and I met through an artist named Johnny Two Phones, and I'll let Hunna tell a little bit more about this later, but they met at school and Johnny was an artist that I had already been working with for quite a while. And then I think about three years ago was the first time that Johnny brought Hunna here to the studio. And since then I've had the, the opportunity to work really closely with Hunna and we have our own little team. And even outside of that, he's always just killing it with EDM or dance or jazz or like whatever he can get his hands on, really. So I'm really excited for him to share some knowledge with everybody. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so so can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because, I mean, Jake mentioned you've got some some jazz background in there. Can you Can you just walk us through how you got started making music and kind of how you got to doing what you're doing now? Yeah, it was definitely, it's kind of an interesting story. So I first started producing when I was like eight years old. I would it like, you know, I wasn't making like hits or anything, but I was still, that's when I first got FL Studio and I had an interest in it. And the first genre of music that really inspired me to start making music was actually like dubstep and crazy EDM music. So it's quite different from what I'm doing now, but uh, I, I originally wanted to be like a, stay in the EDM scene. I was pretty set on that. But then uh, Trap came along, like Trap, EDM Trap. And then that kind of morphed into hip hop. And that was kind of like my segue into rap beats. Hmm. But yeah, I, I grew up in a really small town. Not many people were doing what I was doing. So it was kind of difficult to collaborate with anybody. So I was, I was pretty much on my own right up until college. And then um, luckily, freshman year is when I met Johnny. So it was like super early on. Like I just left home, just started college and I met him and um, we ended up making gelato together, which did pretty well for the time. And yeah, since then I've just been doing this stuff, but Johnny's really helped me develop my style too in the past like two or three years. And I think that's kind of how I got here from where I was. And as for the jazz side, I've, I've taken like jazz piano lessons in high school, private lessons from a teacher for about two years. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of started getting into like music theory. So I'm definitely pretty based in like jazz versus classical. 
and I like to incorporate like everything in our music now. So like I try to draw from EDM and jazz, but also while still making something newer sounding. Right. So, and so did you go to school for music as well? Is that what you were in school for? Yeah. So I'm a senior right now. I'm technically done except for an internship, but I am going to SUNY Oneonta for music industry with a minor in audio arts production. Very cool. So can you talk about that a little bit with your career now as a producer kind of getting started there? Like, do you feel that your education and and going to school for music industry in particular has helped you in any way as a producer, whether that's to stand out or just to kind of be able to do what you do? Yeah, I think it definitely helped for sure. But at the same time, I think it helped more because I was doing it for real with Johnny, I guess for real Mm. in quotes, and learning about it like from the textbook at the same time. Because They definitely, the information I learned here is exactly what you need to know going into the industry, but it's also still kind of boxed up in a textbook. So, you you know, you don't really understand it fully until you're really doing it, I think. But yeah, definitely, it was a cool experience to be able to learn stuff and then apply it in real time and not have that gap that people sometimes have where they have to like wait until they're out of college to do stuff. Like, you know, we were doing it together and um, Johnny's super enthusiastic about what he does and kind of push me along to keep going and keep grinding. So, Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting thing about going to college for this type of thing. Like like I teach at a university and I, that's something I see all the time is that the, the people who are really able to like go after this big time after school are the ones who are already doing it while they're at school. And I think that's one of the one of the big benefits potentially of going to school is that you have this pool of people that you can draw from, make connections, and start making that business while you're still in school. So do you have any advice for people who might be in that sort of beginning stage as far as like going about finding those people? How do you go about finding artists to work with, whether that's in school or out of school? Yeah, I'd say in school, I tried to meet as many like music-oriented people as I could right off the bat, like freshman year. And that really helped me out, you know, the way I met Johnny was through another friend that I met freshman year who I made a song with and Johnny heard that song and like the beat and that's what got me connected with him. So it definitely happens in weird ways. There's no like single way you're going to know, but definitely, you know, reach out to people. Don't be afraid to network yourself and, you know, I guess don't promote yourself to the point where people get annoyed with you, but you know, don't be afraid to reach out once in a while and uh, see what's going on. Yeah, I, I think what you just said about uh, it's pretty easy to over promote yourself. And I think that's one of the traps that people fall into a lot of the time with social media, maybe, is that, you know, you're just DMing every artist you can find with some generic message that's like, whatever, check out my tracks or collab, this and that. What do you think is the right way, maybe, to like approach an artist? Like, say you found somebody you wanted to work with, what's your pitch to that artist? Well, as a producer, I feel like the best way to work with someone, especially if you like what they're doing personally, is um, you want to make that personal connection with them while still treating it like business. So mm-hmm. you don't want to be too businessy and pre-planned about it because that's not, you know, you want to have a genuine connection with that artist if you're going to make music together. And that's definitely what's helped Johnny and I. I feel like the connection we have outside of music helps us when we're working on music because we kind of like understand each other 
and can get ideas across quicker that way. So yeah, I'd say don't be too like robotic about it. Still try to make it personal, but it is okay to, you know, send messages to a bunch of people. You know, that's no problem. Right. Yeah. I think it's something, I don't know about you, Jake, that's something that I struggle with on this podcast, trying to help people with. Because I know that's something that, especially producers, I feel like have this feeling that, you know, you need to connect with people, but unless you already have some connections, you have to like cold message people or whatever. And there's kind of like this, this conflict there with how do I find connections if I don't already have connections? I don't know if that's something that you've struggled with at all, Hannah, or or Jake, if you can chime in on that either. Like, what do you think is the best thing for somebody to do if they're just starting out? Is it social media? Is it just going around and talking to your friends? Like, what's what's the best place to start? I would say start with your friends. And if you don't have friends uh, or... (laughs) Hey, man, if you don't have friends or if your friends aren't into music, then record yourself. And then put that out there for somebody else to stumble across. Because I mean, so Hunter, for you, like the collaboration with Johnny started because he heard something that you had done already right. and that he liked, right? Yeah. So it's it's an interesting story. I think it's kind of a one of a kind chance that I met him, which is kind of weird. But like I said, I met my friend freshman year and then we made a song together in our freshman dorm. We happened to meet johnny's roommate at the time at like a table he was doing for a frat or something and i actually showed him the song so we were kind of self-promoting at that point but like in doing that he actually did go show johnny because he was his roommate and made that connection so it's a fine line over promoting and maybe annoying people but it's if someone's willing to listen to it definitely you know show them your stuff and i'd say now if you're just starting out all social media is good, but I'd say TikTok is super, it's a super good platform to use right now for producers and artists. I'm still trying to work on that myself, so I can't give too much advice, but I've, you know, from what I've seen with Johnny and just other people on there, if you put in the effort and make good content, the way the algorithm works, it'll actually find people who will enjoy your content. And there hasn't really been anything like that until now. So it's definitely a good tool to take advantage of. Right. Yeah. It's always weird (laughs) relying on an algorithm, especially when there's no transparency as far as like how it actually works. It's kind of feels like feeling around in the dark a little bit, especially when you're getting started with it. But a lot of people have been having success with it. So I, yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely a a place people should be looking at least for the, the wider audience. I think from what you're saying about how this collaboration with Johnny first started, maybe the takeaway message is just always have your best material like at arm's reach you know like whenever that opportunity comes up where somebody shows some interest and oh yeah maybe i'd like to check out what you do like have that there with you that you can show somebody right away you don't want to be like oh yeah well like i'll I'll send it to you whatever when i get home or something like that because by the time that that's done maybe the that connection that spark of that connection is gone but if you're able to like make that connection right away as soon as it presents itself, I think that's an important thing for people to do. Definitely. While also not going overboard and just, I don't know, trying to <laughs> weasel your way into any situation where somebody will listen to what you have. But there's always a balance there. But I think that's a, a good piece of advice. As far as when you're actually working with somebody, do, do you normally come to an artist with beats already made or... 
Is that something that you kind of start from scratch with an artist or, or is it a little bit of both? What does that kind of look like? Uh, it's definitely a little bit of both because I, I run into that problem a lot because I make a bunch of different styles and obviously every artist is going to want something a little different. And it also depends on what they're looking for, though. I mean, some artists just want to hear a pack of beats, and if they don't like it, you know, they won't answer. Or if they do, they'll pick one out of that. And then I also have some people come to me and ask for exclusives, I guess, which is what mm-hmm. when I would make the song from scratch specifically for what they want to do. Everything with Johnny, for the most part, I make with him at some point. I mean, I do send him ideas to start with, but if he likes an idea, he works pretty closely with me to make it into what he wants it to be. But I've also sold beats where I just made the beat and someone liked it enough to pick it up. So I'd say definitely a mix of both and it depends on what the artist wants really. Right. If you're doing like an exclusive beat for an artist, is there ever any agreement beforehand of any sort? I mean, whether that's a an actual like written out contract or, or talking about it beforehand, or a split sheet or anything like that? Or is it most of the time just organic and, and trying to just work through it? When I first started, it was definitely pretty informal. I used to sell beats just through Instagram DMs. And I, I still will occasionally. But my stuff with Johnny is a little more pre-planned. Mm-hmm. We kind of know, know the deal with how everything's going to work beforehand. But I'd say nowadays using BeatStars is a pretty good idea because they actually make a contract for you and when someone purchases your beat through their service they kind of have your back in terms of like an agreement with that artist that purchased it so i'd say that's definitely a really good tool to use but it's tough because it's like you know not a lot of people know how to write up their own contracts so it's definitely gets a little iffy and not you know if you send a beat and a contract so it might scare someone away so (laughs) yeah yeah i I think there's definitely there's a difference there when it comes to like selling a beat and when you're like starting from scratch with an artist. And I think in both cases, a lot of the times it can get kind of weird if there's a, like a written contract. Like you said, if you send a beat with a contract, I could scare somebody away. Or if you're writing a song from scratch and before you start, you're like, hey, hold on a second. Let's like sit down and we'll talk through the splits for what's going to happen after this song. That kind of like can pull you out of you know, the flow of things and like the creativity and stuff like that. I just always think that's kind of an interesting thing to hear artists take on to navigate. Cause obviously in an ideal world, everybody's protecting themselves and, and treating each other fairly. Maybe that's in the perfect world where you don't even have to worry about a contract at all. And then other times things can get weird. And sometimes it just helps to like sit down and talk it out with somebody. So I don't know if, if you have any insight on that or whether it's, better in your case just to kind of do it and figure it out after the fact? Um, I'd say with someone that I don't know, I guess for the first time, um, I wouldn't really talk about it until we have something going because, you know, you'd only need a contract if they actually want to purchase something. And another tool to protect yourself as a producer, if you happen to use DistroKid at all, or you can make an account, they have a thing called DistroLock, which lets you kind of lock your beat or a song ahead of time without actually releasing it. So mm. you could lock the beat with distro lock and then send, you know, a demo to somebody or a pack to somebody and not worry about your stuff getting leaked out and no one paying for it because it'll be in the content ID system already. 
So I say that's a good way to like keep your stuff locked down when you don't have a contract yet. And then, you know, when they want to purchase it, you can always go back and unlock it. But yeah, it's, it's definitely tough. I mean, it's tough, but I'd say if you're going to work with a person personally, like Johnny and I, we've definitely had many discussions about stuff like this and it's good to talk about it openly and not kind of hold everything in until the last minute because then it'll just be a disaster. Right. Yeah. And then there's also that relationship there by that point. Right. Um, that's really interesting what you said about distro. Is distro lock is what you said it's called? Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. I've never heard of that before, but that's kind of a, an interesting thing that is maybe unique to producers, especially when they're potentially producing beats before the final artist is a part of the process. That's something I never really thought about, but there is a lot of that. I feel like a, a lot of free beats floating around and stuff like that. What's what's your kind of take on doing beats for free? Because I think that's something that a lot of producers go to at first when they're starting out as a way to build up a name for yourself. Do you think that's a, a valid way to get started? Or do you have any other tips for people if there's anything other than that? I'd say um, it's definitely not a bad way to get started as long as you know that you're going to get credit for it. Mm. That's the biggest thing because you know, if if a bigger artist came to me and wanted to work and they weren't, for some reason, they weren't willing to pay, if I knew I was going to get exposure from it, I would definitely still take that offer because it could be worth it in the long run. Definitely if you're starting out. But I'd also say know your worth and don't undersell yourself because it still plays a part into your image and everything. So you don't want to kind of go too low and screw everything up for yourself. But for publicity, definitely not a bad idea. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And just knowing your worth, and that's something that is tricky in music, I think, because the worth part of it is sort of, it's it's not a concrete thing. It's not like, I don't know, this physical product that I can put in front of you. And the worth is sort of whatever people are willing to pay for it. So it's a tricky thing to start out with, I think, especially and that a lot of the times people do sell themselves short and put up a bunch of free stuff, maybe not deal with it in a way that's going to guarantee that they get credit. And at that point, it really doesn't help you at all. A million people could hear something. and If they don't know that you did it, then it doesn't really help you. So it's just a something to think about and that I see a lot of people going there first where I think maybe, I mean, I'm obviously less of an expert than most people who are producers, since I am not a producer, but I think maybe a better way to go about it is to work for free with people you know, like call on your friends, things like that, collaborate with one another, rather than just putting things out there, hoping that somebody's going to stumble across it and realize the worth in it. Building the worth on a personal level, I think, is the safer way to go in one sense, but also has more potential to grow to bigger things. I don't think a lot of the times people stumble across a free beat online necessarily. And e even if it's really good, I don't, I don't think a lot of people will recognize that because it's a free beat online. You know, there's always that little bit of psychology maybe that goes into that. So I think it's a, a tricky thing to navigate, but yeah, that's, there's a lot of good insight there in what you said. So as far as like the overall business model for producers actually making money, what do you think is the best way for producers to actually get paid for their work. We don't have to talk about projects specifically that you've worked on, but what do you think is like the most efficient way for a producer to actually make money from their beats? Yeah. So it's definitely, 
it's a tough game to play because there's a lot of people trying to do it. It's definitely a flooded market, but it's still music. So everyone, you can still be different than everybody else, even with the amount of people. But yeah, I'd say you can kind of go two routes. So you could do try to sell as many leases as you possibly can because mm-hmm. it, you charge less for leases, but you can sell it more than once. So if you have a you know a popular beat stars page or if you're gaining some traction, you may end up getting you know a decent amount of money from that. And like I said, if you do it through beat stars, you're retaining a lot of your rights through that contract that they have to sign. But I'd say another way is try to get more placements with bigger artists i guess and then i would go the percent route for that because even if you're taking a small percent if it's a small slice of a big pie you know you're gonna make more doing that and oftentimes if the artist is respected and getting bigger and showing growth themselves that kind of like adds to your career at the same time so if you can tap into multiple people like that you're growing yourself through all of their fan bases it's actually kind of easier than trying to be the artist because the artist only has one thing to go for. But as a producer, you know, you can be versatile and work with many different people. But yeah, it's definitely, it's it's tough getting started. You know, selling leases is definitely tough and you need a lot of beats. So I'd say definitely finish all your projects and make sure they're ready to go and uh, definitely set up an account where people can purchase it where you don't really have to be involved as much because it can get, tedious trying to keep track of everything as well mm. yeah i really like what you said just a minute ago about it, it being different being a producer than being an artist as well because a good thing for people who are trying to be producers from a like making a living standpoint is that you have that opportunity to make more then make more music, I mean, than an artist does. Like an artist is going to have one main product, one main release maybe, and they are they have all these other things that they have to do with that. They have to tour on it, you know, they have to promote that specific album or EP or single or whatever it is. Whereas a producer, you can kind of have your fingers in multiple streams of income. Um Fingers in, what was, what was the phrase I was looking for there? Fingers in multiple pies, I guess, right. is what I, what I was looking for. Yeah, where you can you can kind of spread that out and have multiple streams. You can work with artists one after another. You can sell beats. You can lease beats. You can have all of these different ways to make a living without having to worry about a lot of the other stuff that artists necessarily have to worry about, like touring, like doing shows and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting and, and something that a lot of people who are looking to be producers should look into more is, is that it's not just one business model when you're a producer, I think, especially when you're just starting out, maybe as you get more established, you can settle into one of those things. But when you're starting out, I really like that idea of kind of spreading it all over the place and leasing beats, I think is something that's really interesting too. Can you talk about that at all? Maybe for people who aren't familiar with how that works? Yeah, so a lease is when you sell a beat to somebody, but you retain more rights over the beat than an exclusive. So you actually have the right to resell the beat. So that's why sometimes you hear songs that have the same beat, but they're different songs. But the catch is that you're selling it for less money. And like you said, it's almost similar to free beats where someone might hear it and see that it's been leased before and not want to buy it again. Because a lot, you know, most established artists are going to only go for exclusives. So that's another thing to keep in mind. And an exclusive is the opposite, where you 
are selling that beat exclusively to one artist. And once you sell it as an exclusive, you can't sell it again and it's theirs forever. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, I've seen people sell leases and make a ton of money off of it, but it's, I don't want to say quality over quantity, but selling a few quality exclusives to established artists might actually get you further than a ton of leases with, you know, a bunch of unknown artists, but it's there, you know, you could go either route. Right. Yeah. It's just two different business models. And uh, I don't know, maybe for some people it is a good way to kind of test the waters, see what works and what people are liking. Like what, what are people using, what types of beats are people using the most and things like that, just to sort of figure out what your sound is. It could be an interesting way to go about doing that versus if one person buys a beat, for example, you know, that person liked it, but you don't necessarily know the bigger picture of everybody. I don't know. That's another thought too, that by not being exclusive, maybe you can learn more about the general, I guess, audience of artists out there who are looking for beats. True. As far as like from a business standpoint and from you building your own business, what would you say is the biggest business lesson that you've learned? If, if you can distill it down to one point or a couple of points, is there any like single thing that you, all of a sudden you said, oh my gosh, I wish I had known this earlier? I mean, I've learned so much. It's, it's tough because I've learned so much in such a short amount of time that I don't even know if I could pinpoint a single thing. But I just say, keep making new stuff because a lot of times I get caught up in trying to organize everything and like finish my projects. You know, it's a lot to do, but if you can stay organized and keep making fresh content and just keep being persistent, I guess is the best way to phrase it. That'll definitely get you far. I guess always keep learning. That's I've learned to always keep learning <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, even if you think you know what you're doing, there's always new stuff to learn out there. There's new stuff coming out every day. And if you stay on top of that, it'll help you out in the long run. Absolutely. Are there any other producers out there that you kind of look up to when it comes to that? Like that you look to, to learn new things about how to handle your own business? Uh, yeah, actually I really like uh, Tom C. I had the pleasure of meeting him for the first time in Oneonta and we've uh, worked on a few beats together here and there, but he had like a huge SoundCloud following and he, you know, he has a lot of people on Spotify playing his lo-fi beats. I would love to get there someday where I can release music myself as a producer and have that many people, you know, willing to listen. I think that's pretty amazing. Mm, yeah. Friend of the podcast, Tom C. Bumps. Yeah. <laughs> that was episode 25. If you want to go back and, and listen to that one. One of the things that we talked about with Tom also was important traits or skills that somebody needs to become a successful producer, aside from producing chops. Are there any things that you can point to that have really helped you along the way that are maybe not producing skills, but allowed you to do what you've done? Yeah, I'd say you have to be open-minded. And I mean, that goes for pretty much everything in life, I guess. But being able to like collaborate well with others and being able to take feedback from other people and to give yourself feedback in a sense is definitely helpful because you definitely, you don't want to be too critical on yourself, but you have to always try to one up yourself every time you do something. It seems like that's like the best way to get better and kind of refine mm -hmm. your skills. And I'd say also find your sound. I mean, that's like super hard to do and there's right. a lot of steps involved, but if you can really nail down a sound that's your own, that's probably the best way to do it. 
Yeah, I think those two things that you just mentioned kind of go hand in hand as well. Like listening to your own music critically, but not over critically, which is a tough thing to do. Like I definitely do that with like from a mixing standpoint, like I'm critical of my work sometimes to a fault. That's something we've talked about, right? Like that's, is that something that resonates with you at all, Jake? Oh yeah. Yeah. When it comes to mixing, even with songs, if I could write a song, uh, very critical. <laughs> if you could write a Overly song. Overly critical. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm struggling lately, but I tend, I would say to be not overly critical. Like I just get picky. I just get picky. Yeah. I think that's a, a tough line to navigate, you know, like when you're trying to listen to something and improve upon it, it's really, really easy to go overboard with that and just say, oh, whatever, this is terrible. I'm not even going to like do anything with it. But I think you need to do those things and, and still put things out, even when you're not 100% on them, because that's how you go about finding your sound, by putting things out there and seeing what works, listening to that feedback loop of your audience, finding your audience and listening to how they react to things. Do you put out a song that gets a ton of plays and then the next song doesn't get a ton of plays? Being critical from that standpoint, looking at the song that didn't perform as well, trying to figure out what went wrong there maybe or what was better about the first song that did well. I think that's the area to be critical of yourself. So yeah, I think those two things that you mentioned, just listening to your own work and finding your own sound, those are all things that go together. I think that's maybe a misconception that a lot of people have is that finding your sound means that you have to sort of like just stumble across something and say like this is it and go with that for yourself like finding your own sound what was the process for that well yeah of course everyone wants to go out and make something like you know completely new and groundbreaking but i feel like at this point in music where we are now like everything's already recycled so I like to go listen to like all kinds of music and kind of like fill my head with different inspiration and then, mm. you know, kind of, of course not steal it, but take from all those different things and kind of combine it into something new. I feel like it's also a misconception that it's not okay to kind of like take from other things, but all music comes from other forms of music at this point. So, you know, definitely go on Spotify, go on Apple music and listen to a genre you've never heard before. And, take away from it what you can. I mean, that that's what I do personally when I need like some something to refresh my mind, you know, take a break from all the top 40 hits and go listen to some jazz or some, you know, experimental type of music and then bring that to something current. Right, yeah. I, I really agree with what you said about everything being recycled to a certain extent because everything comes from influences. That's actually something we did an episode on as well. I believe it was episode three way back early on about being different yet familiar. The trick to creating a unique sound, I think, is drawing on those influences and then combining them in a new way. Because if you go, you know, full left field, you know, like something nobody's ever heard before, chances are nobody's going to get it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely a big thing. So I think that's great advice. Just kind of Casting a wide net as far as your own interests and what you listen to and then drawing from the things that really resonate with you the most. Are there any other just kind of general misconceptions that you think most aspiring producers have about making it in the music business? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I guess it's not a misconception that it's easy, but you have to definitely be willing to 
put the time in and the effort in. And I will say not all of it is going to be super fun. You know, like I've definitely mm. been in a crunch before and I've like had to sit down and like make something, you know, right now <laughs> type of stuff. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's still making music, so it's still a good time, but you got to take it seriously while having the fun, you know, like don't let it slip and get too comfortable. Right. Yeah. Do you find that for yourself, there are ways to kind of deal with that? Like, I, I know you've also done a fair amount of remixing as well, maybe not as your main business, but is that kind of used as a release valve for you at all to keep the fun in the producing? Yeah, definitely. I would like whenever I'm feeling dry for a certain style, which actually happens quite a bit for Johnny, you know, I'll be making stuff and it's just not coming out the way I want to. So usually when that happens, I'll just go full experimental mode and do something different or fun, like making a remix or, you know, I've made like ambient music, you know, I've tried all different kinds of stuff or I'll go on YouTube and look up new stuff about engineering and production that I wouldn't, you know, usually look up. I I definitely just like to experiment, you know, like there's a ton of stuff you can do with audio nowadays within any DAW that you have really. So it's fun to really go in and like learn your tools and see what you have at your disposal so that when the time comes, you can apply that to something, you know, that you're doing for a project or for me, it'd be like something I'm doing for Johnny. And it also, it definitely keeps you refined and keeps your skills up. Absolutely. I think that kind of even circles back to what we were just talking about before, as far as influences, like just pursuing your own interests outside of those things that you do day in and day out for your normal thing, whether that's producing beats in a certain genre for a certain artist or anything like that. Going outside of that and experimenting is just a kind of good way to like shake the snow globe a bit, you know, and and, and get things moving, see things from a different perspective. So that's all kind of related all to the, the same sort of idea of influences. All right. So we like to finish things up with our guests with a two-part question about predicting the future. The two parts being your own future and the future of the music industry as a whole. So can you make any predictions over the about the next few years as far as where you're going to be heading with your producing? Do you have goals to pursue an artist career yourself at all? Yeah, um, I'm definitely still in like the early stages, which is sad to say because I definitely could have put more effort in. I feel like I'm, I know I'm a little hard on myself, but, um, (laughs) and going to school definitely is tough to focus on everything at once. But now that I'm done, I definitely want to focus on starting my own thing to have that on top of what I'm doing with Johnny. And I I guess my goals, I don't know if I could predict where I'm going to be, but in terms of a goal, I'd like to work with more artists, um, and kind of expand my portfolio over the next year or two. And well, like I said, while also releasing my own stuff. As for the music industry, that's a that's a pretty tough one. But tough by design. There's no yeah. there's no right answer there. But if there are any predictions that you can make, or or even wishful thinking, things that you hope happen for the music industry. Well, I guess in the coming years, I would predict that once things kind of return to normal from COVID, I'm sure there will be a huge surge in live performances and events because mm. I know there's a bunch of people who can't wait to get back out there. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. But I also think that more stuff will be online still because of what we've learned going through this process. Things like online collaboration, like us making a song this past week, basically over FaceTime. 
I think more of that will exist because more and more people understand the tools involved and what happens with that. But yeah, it's it's tough to say. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm hoping for the best. But yeah, I, I mean, what you just said though is a really interesting thing. Like with the the session that you guys just did, where it was sort of remote. Do you think that's a result of like being able to do that is a result of all this stuff with COVID? Do you think that would have ever happened if it hadn't been for all the craziness over the past year? Yeah, I, the technology has been there, you know, like pre-COVID. It's just yeah, this kind of sped up that whole process and kind of forced us to work this way since that's the only way that we can. But yeah, I, th- I think it was somewhat inevitable, but I don't think the connection, like the in-person connection will ever disappear with music because it still isn't quite the same. And it's a lot easier to convey ideas and kind of read each other when you're all in the same room. Right. It's a different kind of energy, you know? It's a little sad when you're all looking at each other through a screen. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is a little bit sad. But at the same time, I feel like having to do this, being forced to do things this way has also kind of opened people's minds up to the possibility a little bit, especially on the studio end of things. I don't know, Jake, like what have your experiences been with that? Have you done any other sessions that were sort of remote in any way like this that maybe you wouldn't have done previously? Most of the remote stuff that I've done has been with people that I've worked with uh, remotely before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing, nothing totally new there. I mean, for me, like doing remote mixing uh, as in like having somebody tuning in live to a mix was something that I had never done pre COVID before. So, I mean, that, that was kind of interesting, but I think you're right about a piece of that carrying over to the future, the kind of distanced thing. As far as what you're doing in the future, where can people go to tune in and and see what you're up to on social media or follow along to see what artists you're working with and and what you're releasing? Yeah, so I'm most active on um, Instagram at 100 Beats, all one word. And I have a link tree in my bio that has the rest of my social media links. Yeah, I'm not super active on social media, but I'm definitely going to get more into it in the coming months here since I'm just leaving school. So it's a good time for me to get started. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, free up a little of that time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Do you have anything coming up soon that our listeners should be on the lookout for any releases or anything like that? Yeah, actually, um, tomorrow, which is Monday, the 21st, which um, is two days ago, if you're listening to this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) um, Johnny Two Phones is dropping a new song that I co-produced and is mixed by Jake. So definitely check that out. Is there a name for you? Uh, it's called Second Chance. Nice. Second Chance. Everybody go check out Second Chance. Holiday song, isn't it? The best holiday song. Yeah, it's a, the first Christmas-based song we've released. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, so everybody should be on the lookout for that. Or Yeah, uh, Mariah Carey should be on the lookout for that. <laughs> <laughs> that number one you. spot. <laughs> yeah, so that came out two days ago, if you're listening to this on the day that this episode comes out. So make sure you go tune into that. I think you're going to like it. It's a great song. Hunter G, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Our producer listeners have asked for more about the production side of things, and you've definitely delivered on that and given them a lot to work with, I think. So I'll thank you on their behalf as well. Do you have anything else that you want to leave our listeners with? Any last piece of advice or anything like that? Sure. I'd say to bring up a point you said before, and we actually learned this in school, which is interesting that you said it, but yeah, definitely just be prepared for opportunities. Most of my teachers at school will say that it's 
there's some luck involved, but being prepared for opportunities kind of increases your chances and uh, always being ready for when it does happen. Don't think if it happens, think when it does, you know, it's definitely a mindset thing, but it's definitely the best advice I've gotten. Great. Yeah. I think that's a great thing for everybody to have in the back of their mind all the time that you, you always want to have your, your best work available. So yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. Thank you for having me too. I really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Hana, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. This is awesome. That's all we've got for you this time. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Self-Signed Artist. Peace. Peace out.